Well, good morning, Journey Church. It's awesome to be here, um, and uh, I know I've seen some new faces today, so if you are here for the first time, uh, my name's Tony. I'm the discipleship minister here, and I get the privilege of uh, sharing with you this morning. Uh, we had a great week last week, had a huge celebration, had a lot of people here, and uh, it was awesome to see You know, the crowds getting a little bit bigger, uh, seeing some faces that we haven't seen in a long time. So that's been a real blessing for me. I hope that's been a blessing for, for all of you as we kind of keep inching back towards, you know, some normalcy. And so the, the day before, Sunday, last week on Saturday, we kicked off our Pray for Woodford initiative. And so that was just a single day where I think we had like 25 or so people that showed up and we prayed in the lobby and then we dismissed everybody and they went to the streets that they had selected, and they prayed over these homes. Uh, if you've missed out on that, our initiative is to pray for every home in Versailles and Woodford County. And so we're going to do that, and it's not a one-and-done deal. It, on Saturday was just the kickoff, but we're going to continue that effort for the next several months until every home in our community has been prayed for. And so there's a lot of cool things that we've heard from that, a lot of uh, feedback, people that saying that the prayers were timely, and they posted on, uh, on Facebook uh, that these people had prayed for them, we, that didn't even know them. And so other things have happened. And I got, a, I got a text from a friend yesterday, from my friend and my brother James, and he sent a picture. I want to show you that on the screen if we've got that. Okay, James sent this with a, with a text that said, hey, I'm praying for the people of Pisgah Pike and Payne's Mill, praying that God's mercy would rain down on them. And I tell you what, this really pumped me up. Because what came to me when I first saw this picture was the, the commission, God's great commission. And as you go, as you go about your daily business, as you leverage your passions and your talents and your skills, you're to make disciples of all nations. And so that's what this prayer initiative is all about. This could be kind of our postcard for the event. And so don't miss out on this if you haven't signed up for it. It's not too late. There's a map in the lobby. There's a sign-up sheet. You can pick the streets that you want to pray for. Write your name on those. There's some door hangers below the map. Uh, you just stop and you pray with whatever's on your heart in front of the house. You don't have to knock on doors. Just hang that door hanger on there. There's some Sharpies if you want to write your first name. Uh, just don't discount what this is going to mean for our community. I'm telling you, great things are already happening. I can't imagine how God's going to move among us if we keep this up. So take part in that and, uh, and don't miss out. Last week, Randy started this uh, sermon series called Grace is Greater. So he talked a lot about grace last week. And, and he, he talked about a couple of things that really resonated with me kind of as a recap First, he said that grace is greater than our mistakes, and uh, that's good news for me. And then the thing that, he, that, that really meant a lot to me, he said, the more we recognize the ugliness of our sin, the more we can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. And so that really is something that's, that's uh, that touched my heart. So today I'm going to discuss the fact that grace is greater than any of our struggles. Grace is greater than anything that we uh, have to go through. And so I was thinking about the time five years ago, almost five years ago, we, we moved out of our home and we moved uh, into the county and uh, moved on to, I call it a really small farm. And uh, we, we moved from 2,500 square feet here in Versailles 
to 1,600 square feet out in Troy. And so I, I know if you've lived in one place for a long time, uh, you probably understand we accumulate a lot of stuff. And it's like it's just kind of the nature of things. And usually when people are moving to another house, usually they want to move into a bigger house so that they can take their stuff and get more stuff. We didn't do that. We moved to a smaller house. And so I built a barn, and I thought, this, this, this barn is huge. It'll hold everything and then some. But when we put our life in that barn, there was barely room for it. And so we figured out real quick, we got to get rid of some stuff. We got to let go of some things. And so we started that process of decluttering in our life. And so one thing I realized when we moved out onto this gentleman's farm, as I say, um, I got this really big interest in homesteading. Uh, another way of saying that is just kind of being a little bit more self-sufficient. COVID brought that to light when we had supply chain issues. You couldn't buy things at the store. So I've really started getting this interest in, in this homesteading. I, I love watching those Alaska shows. love watching the homesteading shows where, where they just take free stuff and build great things out of it, neat things. And so I've started the process uh, of accumulating some free stuff. And you can find it if you look. I uh, found some old barn tents, some posts, and some cedar skin. So I built uh, plant beds. And, and just recently, I scored a couple of truckloads of these huge windows. And I'm going to build a greenhouse. And these windows were free. And so um, the guy that I got them off of said, hey, let me know when you start this because it's going to be interesting. I want to see it. So I told him I would start it in the fall, but I didn't really designate which fall that would be. <laughs> so as you can say, there's stacks of windows now uh, in, in my barn. And so I'm accumulating all of, this, all of this stuff. And so we even took, my wife and I took a course called Living on a Few Acres. So we could learn a little bit more about how to be self-sufficient with the resources that we have. I came out of that all in. I mean, I'm pumped up. My wife came out of it a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> and so she, she's seeing all this stuff kind of stack up around the property. See, my wife doesn't like clutter. Uh, she really doesn't. And uh, she has good reason uh, to, to be that way. And she's sitting right here in the front. She's not glaring at me too much. But, but she doesn't like clutter. And so she kind of laid the law down on me. And she said, I waited for a long time to have this big, nice backyard, and I don't want it junked up. And so I, I get that. I understand that. And so, you know, we live next door to a, a neighbor, our neighbor next door. They don't really keep their place as nice as we do. As a matter of fact, some people that have come by have said, How do you, why do you put up with that? And, you know, I, I would call myself conservative, but as I've gotten older, I think I'm becoming more of a libertarian, and so I, I don't help them pay their mortgage. I don't really have a right to tell them what to do with their land. If they want to live that way, that, that's fine with me. It, it, it doesn't bother me much. And so, uh, but my, what, what my wife was saying is, she says, I don't want our place to look like that. And so, like I said, I understand that, and I, and I, perfectly, I perfectly get that. And so, she's better, honestly, at decluttering or keeping the clutter from stacking up than I am. But I'll tell you, how decluttering starts with me is I have to get to a point where I'm starting to trip over things. 
I have to get to a point where, you know, things are, are just kind of falling off shelves. And when I get to that point, I get to my breaking point, and then I go on an all-out decluttering movement. I start to start the process of trying to throw things away. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you, when I do that, it's a struggle because I think, man, this is still good. I, I could probably use this. And so it's tough to let things go. I see some people laughing because that's kind of how we are. It's kind of hard to let things go sometimes. You know, I, I build and fly model airplanes, and so I've got a workshop. And the, the clutter started happening. You know, I'd open a drawer, and things would start falling out, and things were falling off of shelves and everything. And I was tripping over these bits and pieces that I've accumulated over 20 years, thinking someday I'm going to need these. And so I, I got to that boiling point, and I just gathered it all up, and it filled you know, like two or three big Rubbermaid totes. And so I I go to a swap meet with my best friend, and I took these thinking, I'll just end up throwing this stuff away. Nobody's going to want it. I made like 400 bucks, $2 at a time. That tells you how much stuff I had. And so that stuff is hard to let go. It really is. It takes an effort for me to do that. So Every now and then, as I've gotten older, I've just realized that, that I have to declutter. I've got to get rid of some things. I've got to let go of things so that I can have a healthy peace of mind. And so just like clutter, the clutter that accumulates around us, folks, we also need to let go of the hurts and, and the resentments and things that keep us from allowing grace to flow in our lives. So today I'm going to be sharing some key points about grace with you. And the first one is this. Grace is greater than your hurts. You know, we, we have a CR, a Celebrate Recovery program here at the church, and it's to help us all, everyone, kind of get past our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups uh, so that we can become closer to God. And so as I was thinking about this, praying about this, I, I came across... Um, one of our eight core principles. See, Celebrate Recovery is based on eight core principles based on the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke uh, on the Mount. And so number six really resonated with me, and it's like I I couldn't believe it just that I I had overlooked it. But number six, core value number six says this, we need to evaluate all of our relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us, and make amends for harm we've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or other people. And so God laid this one right at the doorstep for me because it's really a summary of what I'm going to share with you uh, today. The first point is this, if we can forgive, if, but before we can forgive, we have to understand one thing. We have to understand that we are forgiven. It's kind of hard to give something that we feel like that we don't have. And I'm going to tell you something about myself. I'm the kind of guy that kind of buries my hurts and my resentments. I've done that my whole life. I I kind of just internalize all of it. And so there's been a lot of times in my life when I've lived in my own little world of all my troubles. And I'm going to tell you, that's a big and a lonely place to be when you're just holding all that stuff in. See, I never even talked to God about it. Like, I just wanted to spare him of all of the troubles. I didn't want to bother him with it. I never talked to my wife or my family. You know, I felt like that I had to bear those burdens by myself. 
And so I, I didn't want it to fall on anyone else. And, and I thought that they didn't notice. But, you know, when you do that, when you bottle that stuff up, it comes out some way. It comes out in anger sometimes. And it also comes out in distance, you know, when you're there, but you're not there. And I think maybe that's more of how I deal with it, how that kind of comes to the surface uh, for me. See, I felt like I deserved all the trouble. I felt like I deserved it, and I didn't want it to fall on anybody else. Grace was for other people, but I just had to shoulder it. I had to suck it up, and I had to deal with it myself. And, And I come to understand that there's a good adjective for that, for that attitude. It's called garbage. That's just ridiculous. Uh, it's taken me a lifetime to learn that. See, I was living my life like I had to earn grace, like I had to earn it. Somehow, I I had to really do something to earn God's grace. And then I was tortured when I kept coming up short. And it just, it was, it was tearing me apart when, when I just couldn't measure up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. You know, if, if you had to earn grace, wouldn't they call it something else? I mean, the very meaning of grace is that it's, a, that it's unmerited, that, that it's not something that we uh, can earn. You know, it's offered freely. And again, there's nothing you can do to justify grace, but yet God still offers it freely still offers grace freely. So the first person that we need to forgive, or at least the first person that we need to understand is forgiven, is ourselves. We need to accept God's gift of grace and move on as it, as it is final. Because Jesus said in the book of John, when he, before he breathed this last, he said, it is finished. It is over. It is done. It is decided. Accept God's grace and move on because his forgiveness is 100% complete. Paul said this. He said, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So my question now for all of you, have you accepted God's grace? Accept God's grace and move on. Which brings me to the next point I want to make. Grace is greater than any of the stuff that you've done. Sometimes that's hard to believe, but it's true. So to deny God's grace as a believer is to do what Paul said. It's to crucify Christ over and over again. Don't miss out on grace because you think you're ineligible. Grace is available for everyone who will accept it. So here's another thing. This is an important thing. In accepting God's grace, we have to practice extending it to other people. That's even tougher than accepting it, right? Extending it to other folks. Paul said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive them as God forgave you. So the next point I want to make, 
Grace is only grace if it goes both ways. In accepting God's grace, we're obligated to share it with other people, to extend it to other people. I think most of us agree, in here at least, that God's grace is an amazing gift. But sometimes we have an awful hard time extending that gift to people around us. Especially those people that have hurt us or who have, we have a grievance against or someone who's damaged us. Uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard there's a business that had this on their bulletin board. It said, to err is human, but to forgive is against company policy. Now, I know that's cute and that's funny, but if we really took an inventory of ourselves, that's kind of how we operate, right? We expect to be forgiven, but sometimes we find it really hard to forgive uh, other people. I've shared with you all before that one of my pet peeve sayings is I can forgive, but I can't forget. And that really drives me nuts. And the reason it does is because I've used it most of my life. And I've come to understand just how wrong that is. I've used it uh, when someone is asking for forgiveness, somebody who's hurt me or somebody that maybe has hurt someone I love. And I say that before because I want it both ways. I want to be able to to seem like I'm, you know, taking the high road, but I also want to hold on to the anger and the resentment and everything else that I'm feeling towards that person. And folks, we can't really have it both ways. Saying that statement, I can forgive, but I can't forget, it's like right now I forgive you on a whiteboard and then erasing it right away. The two cancel each other out. Thank God we serve a God that is willfully forgetful because we don't deserve it any more than other people do. Folks, we live in a world where forgiveness is out of style. I'm sure you notice that. You just got to turn on the news to understand that. Forgiveness is out of style in our age. See, you don't have to do much uh, to be singled out in our culture with some pretty harsh stuff. We're in a place where a single statement or an action in just a brief moment of time can bring out the ruin of people's lives. We live in a, a world of cancel culture. And what is cancel culture? You know, some people say it's, it's political correctness run amok. And I, 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 I think that um, it's just when basically when another group or people in society, when they don't agree with you, they, then they can basically go after you. They can come after you with a vengeance. And so basically there's no route to forgiveness in our world today. In a lot of high-profile cases of cancel culture, even an apology doesn't stem the tide of the vicious attacks uh, that happen, this desire for revenge that people have. Folks, that's not the world that God wants us to live in. Which brings me to the next point. God is greater than anything that's been done to you. It's getting harder to follow, all right? God's grace is greater than anything that's been done to you. Anything that you've done to others, but anything that's been done to you. So how do we get past this idea of revenge? How do we get past that, this refusal to forgive? And that's a really good question. You know, I've counseled some people that have a really hard time forgiving folks that have hurt them or maybe even hurt their family members. I mean, they've got legitimate reasons to, to be uh, angered 
I mean, the hurts have been real, and some of sometimes even physical. And their their hurts are legitimate, but they just can't forgive those that have hurt or hurt or abused them in some way. I get that. I totally understand that. I have folks in my life dating back to my childhood that I have a hard time forgiving. And so I totally understand it. That doesn't make us bad people. That makes us human, right? That makes us people who are living in a fallen state. So what can we do? What can we do to get past that? Well, I say we can live it out like Jesus did. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, looking down at the very people that were causing his pain and his death, and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. These are the same people, the same men that had beaten Jesus nearly to death. They're the ones that slapped him and mocked him and spit on him, put on a robe, shoved this crown of thorns into his scalp. And here Jesus is hanging on the cross, looking down at them, and he's petitioning the Father to forgive them. I'm sure his thoughts were on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all those people that brought this about. I'm sure that his thoughts were on forgiving them as well, on asking God to forgive them. We're told to forgive as we've been forgiven. And Jesus is living that out on that cross that day. Now, I've had some people kind of confront me with, with this analogy that, yeah, you know, Jesus, yeah, he forgave them. Uh, but, you know, he's God. No, I'm not. So he, he can forgive people, but I can't. That's kind of the excuse that some people use. We're just mere humans, so forgiving is not possible. That's a really good cop-out. See, Jesus' forgiveness of his oppressors, you think it was really that easy just because he was God? Really? The Jesus that suffered the beating and hanging on the cross was flesh and blood. The Bible says he was like us in every way. As a matter of fact, it says he was tempted like us in every way. By nature, Jesus was both fully God and fully man, but I don't believe that Jesus used his deity to make his obedience to the Father easier. I don't think that's the case. See, Jesus was setting an example for us. And so if it was, if it was really easy for him, what example is that for us? If it's just to remind us that it's impossible for us. Jesus was setting an example, not for just the people that were there, but for all of mankind. For us. Do you guys remember a guy named Stephen in the Bible? We hear about him first in the book of Acts. I personally think he was one of the first deacons called uh, to the church. So Stephen had gotten into some hot water with the leadership of the church at the time because he was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. We can pick up his story in Acts chapter 7. It says this, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard Stephen say these things, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and a son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the leaders covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out into the city and they began to stone him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. 
and then he fell asleep. So if Jesus could only forgive his oppressors because he was God, how do we explain the fact that Stephen could do the same thing? I tend to make these excuses because I don't want to let these hurts go. I don't want to let these resentments go. We can follow Jesus' example just like Stephen did. A more modern day story is about a young girl who was eight years old in 1960. Her name was Ruby Bridges. I don't know if you've heard the story of Ruby. But she was one of four kids that were selected to integrate Southern schools. Ruby was to integrate a Louisiana school all alone. Ruby was a young African-American fourth grader, and she was walking past a crowd of protesters going to school. They were yelling at her. They were screaming at her. One person even brought a, a, a black doll that was in a tiny coffin and showed it to her. They were spitting on her. And they were so concerned about Ruby's uh, state of mind that they had her see a, 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 a doctor. And so this doctor was baffled, though, because she seemed just like a normal young girl who had gone through this stuff. She was a normal eight-year-old, like an eight-year-old should be. It didn't seem that this experience was really, was really changing her at all. She had no resentment. She had no fear. She had no anger. One day as she was walking past these crowds, these mobs of protesters, her teacher noticed that every now and then she would stop as she was passing these people and her lips were moving. She would walk a little bit further, she would stop and then her lips were moving. And so this teacher thought that was something that the doctor ought to know and so she told the doctor and the doctor asked Ruby, what were you telling these people? And she said, I wasn't telling them anything. I was praying for him. Sorry, I have a hard time getting through that. But um, here's this eight-year-old girl who's going suffering all this abuse, and she's praying for God to forgive these people. Later in her memoirs, she she said that the reason she prayed for that is because her parents, her illiterate parents told her that that's what Jesus would want her to do, and that's what Jesus did. Her pastor said that, you know, you should pray for your enemies, and she said, that's what I was doing. And isn't it amazing that the peace and a calm came over this eighth grader and weathering that storm because she was obedient to Jesus? That story really convicted me. I hope that... uh, that she feel that in the same way. Her obedience allowed her to let this go. Her obedience allowed her to forgive her oppressors. And God gave her joy. These three accounts have a similar theme. Jesus, Stephen, nor Ruby looked their oppressors in the eye and said, I forgive you. They prayed for God to forgive them. You know, some people have some different opinions about this. They say, well, the reason that is is because they couldn't bring themselves to forgive them, so they just asked God to forgive them. I'll be honest with you, I really don't subscribe to that. I really don't think that that's the case. See, let's take Jesus. If he had refused to forgive his oppressors, I believe his obedience would have been incomplete. 
If Jesus in his humanity said, was saying, I can't bring myself to forgive him, I don't think that his obedience would have been complete. We know that Jesus was like us in every way, but for one thing, Jesus never sinned. His perfection was his obedience to God. So in that light, he couldn't have withheld forgiveness of those folks. And I'm not willing to say that Stephen or this young girl refused to forgive them either because of resentment. Him saying, I forgive you, Jesus. If Jesus said, I forgive you to his oppressors. See, those guys that were killing him, they didn't believe who he, who he said he, he was who he said he was. They believed he was a liar. So him saying, I forgive you, really wouldn't have carried a whole lot of weight. It wouldn't have changed their minds, I don't think. The, the angry mob that stoned Stephen, it might not have swayed them at all. And Ruby's oppressors more or less, more or less probably wouldn't have been affected either. So whose forgiveness did they need more? than God's. They were praying for real intercession for these people that God would save them from themselves. So they may not have looked their enemies in the eye and said, I forgive you, but they did pray that God would forgive them. And maybe if you're having trouble releasing resentment or forgiving someone in your life, maybe that's the best place to start is to ask for God to forgive them. You can't, do, you can't do them any better a favor than to do that. And maybe God will change their hearts. So the last points I want to make. Part of offering grace to those that have hurt us is to make amends. Is to restore the relationship. You know, we were just talking, uh, we're a church of restoration. We're a church of reconciliation that's in our DNA. And so... Jesus tells us that if we forgive people, we should try to restore that relationship. See, Jesus doesn't tell us, I'm going to forgive you, but I can't have a relationship with you. He'd be justified in saying that, but he doesn't do that. Jesus wants to have that relationship. He doesn't say, I can forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. Thank God we, we serve a forgetful God. When it's possible and when it's safe to do so, we need to make amends with the people that have harmed us. And that's not always the case. Sometimes we can't do it. Sometimes it might bring back more harm. It doesn't always work. But when it doesn't and we can't, that's not on us. But it shouldn't keep us from releasing this resentment, from releasing ourselves from these things. Because folks, whenever we refuse to let things go, we're refusing to let grace flow. And so we need to let go. We, just, like, just like the clutter I was talking about in the beginning, all this stuff can, can cause great harm to us if we don't just let it go. If we keep holding on to it, it's not going to help us out. So I want to leave you with four things. I want you to ask this of yourself. Who is it that you can forgive? Who is it that you can pray for? Who is it that you can do good to? And who is it that you can be reconciled with? If you take anything away, I ask that you, you take those four points. Who can you forgive? Who can you pray for? Who can you do good to? And who can you be reconciled with? You know, our mission here at the church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And part of offering grace is something that happens along that path. 
And so we're here to help you. We're here to equip you to take that next step on your journey. Things like resentment and unforgiveness, and they're just barriers that keep us from taking the next step. That's why it's so important to let that stuff go. And so we're going to start something here next week. Uh, we haven't had kind of an introductory class or anything for a while because of COVID, but we're going to start something simply called The Journey. I'm going to be teaching a class during second service, and it's going to be a four-week class, and it's just going to, it's going to, it's designed to help you, one, understand where you are on your journey, and try to clarify what your next step might be. You'll learn a little bit more about Journey Church, about who we are, about what makes us tick, and, and what God's calling us to do. And so I would, I would invite you to take part in that. I've got a couple of couples that I've talked to already about it, so I hope that, that you're on board with that. But please consider just coming during the second service. If you have kids, they can stay in the children's area through the second service as well. I promise you they're going to have fun. That's not going to be an issue. So please uh, take advantage of that. And if you want to know more about it, you can check with me after the service. You can also email me. It's easy, Tony at journeyky.church. Just let me know that you're coming. I'll look forward to it. Uh, but again, don't miss out on that opportunity as well. We've been talking a lot, obviously, about this house, about God's house being a house of prayer. And that is our desire. And I tell you what, we've, we've seen some really cool stuff happen because of it. And we're just getting started. It's just the tip of the iceberg. I saw some people coming up and praying uh, during the service. Man, this is a place up here. Anytime, you know, you come up and, and offer those prayers. You know, prayer is a form of worship. And so we've, we've opened this place. We've designed it up front uh, to be a place of prayer. We've got the kneelers up here. We're going to have some folks that are going to come up. Uh, I think Humera's going to be up here. Randy's going to be up here. If you want someone to pray for you, we would love to do that. But it's also a place for you just to come up and deal with God on your own as well. It's a place you can come up and just stand and worship. And so we want to see this place full and so don't, don't worry about maybe it being a little odd or whatever. We want it to be normal. And so don't let anything hold you back. Please come forward and, uh, and let's worship with our songs, with our prayers together. So how this is going to work is I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done, um, we're going to start with another song. And uh, you're welcome to come forward and, uh, and pray. Just, just like I said, just deal with God in whatever way you need to. And uh, just know that we love you and you are welcome. Uh, let's, let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day, this day that you created, the day that you set aside. You want us to come here. You want us to come here with open hands, offering our praise, our honor, our glory, our songs, our voices to you, Lord. Lord, we welcome you here as we know you're present. We're here to honor you. God, we love you, and it's in your son's name that we offer our prayers. Amen.